customer experience is your brand. All about the interaction that a customers customer are not has just customers that can the be kind of experience you give to people. Customers. That's what they're going. Amazon wants you to buy something. A warranty company wants their contractors. Customer to do experience, you know, it really is how your brand gets projected out in, into the world. Business is not just business; it's very human. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. This is your host, Todd Stewart. I'm super excited for today's episode with Bill Pollack. Uh, Bill is the president and principal consultant analyst at Strategies for Growth SM, the independent research analyst and consulting firm he founded in 1992. Previously, Bill served as president and chief research officer at the Service Council from 2001 to 2013. He was the vice president and principal analyst heading up Aberdeen Group's service management practice in 2008 and all the way through 2010 and managing analyst service industry at Gardner from 1995 to 2001. Uh, Over his entire career, Bill has been published in 300 plus uh, publications, 300 articles, uh, all the way from field technologies to field service logistics and field service digital, among many others. I highly recommend if you want to uh, hear some industry leading thoughts, just just type in Bill Pollock in, in Google and you'll find some amazing articles. So Bill, uh, thank you for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm doing fine, Todd. Uh, thanks for having me. So today... Um, you know, we are here to talk about many things, customer experience, the 2018 trends of, of this year, you know, it's new year. So we're talking about the trends uh, and everything field service enterprises should be aware of this coming year. So we have some, some pretty meaty topics. Uh, we're going to, we're going to dive into each one separately, but before we, we go in, um, in, in one of our pre-calls, you, I think you summed it up perfectly, and I wanted to set the stage for all the listeners. Um, homeowners and customers, we now expect the same customer experience as when we interact with Amazon and Zappos. And I just interacted with LL Bean this weekend, and it was a phenomenal customer experience. But, but homeowners are now kind of expecting other industries to do the same. So in the field service space, this is the, the question for you, Bill, is in the field service space, companies should be thinking about uh, improving their overall customer experience. So wh- how how should a company start to begin framing their mindset when they approach improving their overall customer experience? Uh, sure, that's a great question, Todd. Uh, and uh, hopefully I'll have a great answer for that. And, and I think the history of the services industry, and particularly in field services, is uh, one of a B2B environment, a business to business. And the one thing that a lot of companies, a lot of services organizations today um, are only beginning to grasp, and, and some of them haven't even yet gotten to that point, is that every one of their B2B customers is also a B2C customer uh, at home. So in other words, um, with a field service organization, whether they're scheduling a service call or ordering parts or um, planning for a preventive or preventative maintenance, uh, they're uh, acting in the role of a business-to-business or B2B customer. However, at the end of the workday, and for many um, individuals, and particularly managers, that workday is not just an eight-hour day, it's a 10-hour day. Then they go home, they don't have time to uh, 
to go to the store uh, to buy something, uh, to try on a pair of shoes or something like that. So uh, they become B to C customers. They become uh, business to consumer customers. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned Zappos. Um, uh, you mentioned LL Bean. And uh, you know, to that I would add um, anything that uh, people buy on Amazon.com or uh, QVC or the Home Shopping Network. Um, when they order something from those B to C companies, uh, they get alerts all the time. Your order has been placed. Your order has been shipped. Here's the tracking number. Click here and see exactly where your package is at any given moment. Then it comes to you. Uh, if you pay via American Express or uh, one of your uh, um, larger credit cards, uh, you get alerts uh, from uh, the businesses. Uh, uh, the credit card companies that uh, you've made a purchase or you can go online and see that the purchase has gone through uh, and it's cleared the uh, credit card processing um, uh, at the, uh, the company uh, and then you try on the pair of shoes or, or uh, the piece of clothing or whatever and it, it doesn't fit or it mm -hmm. doesn't look right and you return it so then you box it up you print out a label right off of your computer uh, you send it back. In many cases, uh, you don't even have to pay for the shipping. Uh, UPS or the Postal Service will pick it up right at your door, or you can drop it off at a kiosk. And then you get uh, a whole slew of alerts from uh, those companies, again, that um, your return has been processed, your return has been received. Um, and then from the credit card company, uh, we've issued a credit for uh, your purchase, et cetera, and so forth. Mm -hmm. The whole process... Uh, from start to finish, uh, even in um, a, a bad purchase, something you have to return, uh, can take place uh, within just a few days. Mm -hmm. And you're always apprised of exactly where you stand with where the shipment is and uh, what the payment uh, situation is. And then the next day you go back into work and um, the, the part that you had ordered hasn't come in yet. You call the company. Uh, the services organization and they say well let me check i'll get back to you later on i don't know where it is right now mm -hmm. and uh, the process can take days just to find out uh what's going on and i've heard many uh, uh services executives and field service executives over the years when we conduct our regular ongoing one-on-one -on -one telephone discussions and networking at trade shows and things like that why can't my services organization treat me as well as my uh, my consumer purchases my my home purchases yep. so this is a topic that uh, that uh, first started rearing its head maybe five seven years ago in some cases even earlier uh, American Express and, and uh, QVC uh, have been leaders in this Zappos has been a leader in this as well mm -hmm. uh, but now uh, for many organizations, it's not as much a problem because they get what the customer experience is. And the thing is that I'll be talking about silos later on. I'm sure you'll be asking me some questions um, uh, where silos just don't work. You, you've got to have an orchestrated front mm -hmm. in dealing with customers to ensure the customer experience is positive. But this is not a place to, to have a silo. You can't just uh, uh, imagine that your B2B customer is nothing but a B2B customer uh, and only dealing with you. They're dealing with your competitors. They're dealing with other uh, B2B uh, vendors, and they're dealing with, um, uh, with consumer uh, vendors as well. Mm -hmm. So the whole uh, uh, metric is different. 
the whole process is different. And if you haven't grasped it yet and embedded it in your services organization, you're already behind the times. So, so it sounds like the major theme here is just connectivity between all parties within uh, the, the, the buying life cycle, whether it's services or products. Uh, well, that, that's true. I, I mean, you don't have to have a strategic alliance necessarily with a credit card processing company or a logistics company. Many organizations do, and that actually helps things. But even if you don't have uh, formal strategic alliances, uh, your consumer, uh, whether it's a B2B or a B2C customer, uh, will already have accounts uh, with credit card companies and logistics companies and, and things of, of that nature. And um, when everything is working together uh, and it keeps the consumer um, informed, then the consumer uh, is likely to be happier or more satisfied with all of the service and support he's getting from all of the organizations. Even if there's a weak link in the chain, um, if the consumer is made aware that there's a delay, uh, that a shipment has been stopped by a snowstorm in Denver or something like that, uh, then uh, the consumer is less likely uh, to uh, to be dissatisfied uh, with the vendor or the services uh, organization because it's not their fault. It's an act of God. It's uh, weather-related or, or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the whole key to it is communications, mm-hmm. and not just communications from one vendor. It's from the vendor and all of the other uh, vendors that support that vendor in terms of uh, shipping and returns and, and payments, et cetera. I love that. All right. So, so there's, there's plenty of meat within this overall topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about communications. We're going to be talking about mobile enabled workforce in a second. Um, so let's, let's hold on to that right now. But as, as far as moving on to like trends for, for 2018, I, the way I want to approach this, this segment of the show is, is I'm going to say a trend and then I want you to react and share your opinion on each of these. And so these are, these are sort of the trends that, that, uh, we're seeing in, in 2018 of how field service companies should be thinking sort of the buzzwords. Uh, the first one is mobile enabled workforce. My take on mobile-enabled workforce is that uh, workforces over the years have become more mobile to begin with. Things uh, that were handled in a front office or back office uh, can now be handled out of the employee's home as long as they're uh, connected to the internet and they've got the right devices and tools and and, uh, data and information available to them on a real-time basis. So the mobile-enabled workforce, uh, it's not new. That's not a new trend that we're seeing. It's a trend that's going to be bolstered, though, as we continue to move forward. There are more and more uh, tools, more and more technologies being made available on on a near constant basis that enable a mobile worker to get more work done uh, and uh, share the results of that work in real time with the the departments or the individuals within his or her company that need to have that information uh, on an instant basis, as well as with the customers and the consumers. Uh, So they have that information on a near instant basis too, through a customer portal, uh, for example. So uh, the mobile enabled workforce uh, is something that 
Uh, it's been around for a while. It's only going to become more important. And the only way to ensure that your mobile-enabled workforce uh, is up to the task is to make sure that you've got the right technologies to support them, uh, that you have the right upgrades and the right um, uh, software patches and fixes uh, so uh, they don't get disrupted along the way. And um, it, it just gives more power uh, to your mobile workforce to serve as ambassadors of your company to take care of the total customer experience because they're the ones who are going to be dealing with the customers either in person if they're making a delivery or um, over the telephone or via text uh, or even via chat. Uh, so uh, it's very important. It's always been important. And it's, it's going to become so important that no one's going to be talking about it because it's mm -hmm. going to be embedded in just about every field service management solution offering that's out there. Once it's everywhere, once it's uh, ubiquitous, uh, then uh, people will start, uh, stop talking about it and start talking about some other new technologies on the horizon. How, how will it play a role in like the third party contractor space? Because the, the quote that I've been hearing that's sort of been popping up everywhere is by 2020, over 40% of the field service work will be performed by technicians who are not employees of the organization. So subcontractors, third-party contractors, um, how will mobile enablement uh, play a role? Well, it, you know, uh, again, this isn't a new trend. It's just a larger trend than it used to be. Uh, I worked on some consulting projects. Uh, well, when I started my company, Strategies for Growth, 26 years ago, and uh, uh, for one of the companies, they were a private label company whereby uh, they supported a number of uh, uh, pioneer companies in uh, personal computers, in uh, office computers, uh, many, many of which uh, the companies are no longer still around. But what they did is they dispatched field technicians on site to fix that equipment wearing the logos on their shirts of the brand of equipment they were servicing, mm -hmm. not the logo on the shirt of the company that was actually performing the services and had those employees as uh, W-2 employees. Oh, interesting. So, uh, again, it's nothing new, but it's something that's growing. And the 40% mark uh, really eclipses uh, what we saw 26 years ago when I was first introduced to this. Mm -hmm. Now, also, there are a number of um, what I refer to as feet-on-the-street companies that uh, either uh, provide a platform uh, for uh, freelance um, uh, 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 management services, uh, management uh, employees, um, getting field labor on the street. Uh, it's either a platform or it's uh, actually recruiting the individuals and getting that feed on the street. There are some companies, I, I'm not going to mention any uh, specifically by name, but uh, it's, it's almost like a Craigslist situation where, uh, or an Angie's list. If you want to um, find um, qualified, certified field technicians uh, to handle uh, segments of your customer base, you can find them. You can get them on the street. You can either manage it yourself through um, a platform or you can uh, outsource it to a third party to do it. So this is uh, getting uh, bigger and bigger. And in the annual surveys that we do for field service management, uh, what we've been seeing is 
a steady increase year after year after year in the percentages of uh, respondents to our surveys who say we're going to be uh, using more outsourced uh, field service capabilities over the next 12 months or so. Mm -hmm. So moving on to the next thing that that I'm hearing is omni-channel communication. What's your take on that? Well, uh, omni-channel communication uh, is um, a a catch-all or an umbrella that that talks about um, all of the ways that uh, uh, communications are conveyed between a services vendor and the marketplace and uh, their own uh, customers and prospects. Um, it's become uh, ubiquitous in the uh, global services community, and um, uh, a lot of it uh, relies on social media. For example, e- even in my own business, um, where I used to depend on uh, field service trade associations and making speeches and uh, having booths at trade shows uh, to bring business in, uh, that accounted for more than half of the business uh, that came into my company. Now, uh, about three quarters of the business that we get comes from social media. Mm-hmm. And when people ask me, uh, where, where does business come from? Which social media uh, aspects work best for you? Is it Facebook? Is it LinkedIn? Is, is, is it Twitter? And, um, well, typically I use Facebook only for uh, personal and family and friends. Uh, but the LinkedIn uh, is where we do a lot of posting. Uh, but you can't find it unless you're directed to it. So we use Twitter a lot. So service organizations have finally learned that social media is not just for their employees to use during lunch break or coffee breaks. It's something that they need to use. It's more instantaneous than just about any other method of communications that they can have with their customers. Uh, and not only for them, but for customers who have problems with them mm-hmm. and customers who are highly satisfied with them. So uh, when something is posted, uh, when something negative is posted uh, through social media, uh, companies have to really jump on that social media wagon and respond to it as quickly as possible. Not just spin it, but resolve it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so um, the, the thing is, uh, I'll give you an example. When I get a, um, a cold call from a prospect, instead of me calling them to, uh, to uh, tout our services or what have you, they're calling me and they, they have a specific idea of uh, we want something like this or something like that. Do you do that kind of research or consulting? Uh, we go through it, we have a discussion, and then at the end of the discussion, I, I always ask them, where did you first learn of, of me and, and uh, strategies for growth? And that's the only question they can't really answer. They, they say something like, um, well, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I think I saw you speak at, at a trade conference, uh, one or the other. I think I read one of your published articles. I think I might have seen one of your tweets, but I don't remember where I first learned about your company. Mm-hmm. And it's the same kind of thing. What you want to do is you want to spread the communications to your marketplace, whether it's prospects whether it's customers, whether it's uh, strategic alliance partners or vendors uh, or the the other companies uh, that help you to support your customers, total customer experience. And and it's not necessarily always a rifle shot anymore. Uh, It's a scattergun approach sometimes. 
that uh, you, you need to make sure that you employ all the different modes of communication possible. Uh, and if you're not already focusing on at least part of your marketing messaging on social media, you really need to do that because your competitors are doing it, best in class are doing it, all the companies uh, that um, other companies use as benchmarks, the use of the guys we need to follow, whether they're in their segment or in other uh, vertical segments, they're all using social mark, uh, social media for their marketing and promotion. Uh, and that's part of the, uh, the, the omni-channel marketing. Mm. It may not replace direct uh, contact between your field engineers and your customers or uh, between your uh, management uh, personnel uh, making telephone calls. Uh, but um, in many cases, uh, it's a better means uh, of communications than just using telemarketing where you're just trying yep. to sell something and not listening to what your customer has to say. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 communicating in the way that your customers want on the medium that they want when they want. Right. Next, next thing, artificial intelligence, AI. I... I I mean, I'm sure everybody's hearing this regardless of the industry you're in. Talk to me a little bit about field service. Talk to me, uh, give me your take on AI. Okay, um, AI is one of the most complicated things you can think about and also one of the easiest things you can think about. Let me explain that. It's complicated in order to build it, in order to build the algorithms, but that's why uh, most organizations have a CIO, Chief Information Officer and a CTO, a Chief uh, Technology Officer. But it's very easy to use uh, in terms of the results that you get from uh, uh, embedding or incorporating artificial intelligence uh, into your service operations. Um, that, that may be a little bit by default in some cases because um, I, I was introduced to artificial intelligence 26 years ago, the, the year I started my company. And I actually wrote a report on how AI and neural networks can assist a services organization in uh, providing a better customer experience. And I uh, co-wrote the article with a uh, PhD in neural networks and artificial intelligence. And we started writing it and it was going along well. And uh, I sent him one day, how does AI work? And he said, well, nobody really knows. It just does. <laughs> and I said, that's not sellable. I cannot sell AI to a services organization and say, why don't you use this? We don't know how it works. It just, it just does. does. <laughs> okay. So, but uh, AI is not brand new. I mean, AI has been around uh, for, for over 40 years, but, um, uh, there are companies like American Express, for example, and uh, some of the, um, the the print magazine publishers like Time Magazine and Newsweek Magazine uh, had been using AI for years, developing algorithms. They wanted something uh, that was better than just segmenting the market in terms of small, lead, uh, medium, and large uh, prospects or customers, northeast, west, and south customers, uh, uh, customers... Uh, with frequent buying patterns versus infrequent buying patterns. 
that's all well and good. It still works today. It's going to work uh, years from today, too. But they wanted something a little bit better. So they developed some algorithms, uh, which are just mathematical equations, mm-hmm. but it uh, takes a lot of digging, a lot of data to, uh, to, uh, to build them. They built them into the systems. And then what would happen is if you were a magazine subscriber uh, or in your American Express bill, um, you would get a different ad in the magazine or a different blurb for, hey, uh, use your American Express card to, uh, to purchase a cruise or to purchase um, a case of beer or, or to, to go shopping or buy gasoline with. Uh, then your next door neighbor who had the same American Express card or read the same magazines as you. And those algorithms were designed uh, to take everything into consideration. All the market segmentation I've already talked about, anything you can imagine that would segment uh, one customer from another, uh, one prospect from another in the marketplace. They took all that into equation, and then they built in even more algorithms uh, to take in the socioeconomic things and, and things that the, the human mind might not instantly uh, be aware of or take advantage of in, in looking in, in terms of segmentation. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked back then, and it works today. Uh, and what what's happening now is those services organizations that are building AI into their uh, operations are benefiting from a, a number of things. First off, the customer experience is much better. Uh, through AI, they're developing uh, chatbots uh, to uh, assist customers, mm-hmm. um, the, replacing the chat rooms from 10, 15 years ago. Um, and these bots contain uh, all of the customer and equipment information that you can possibly imagine so that uh, problem situations can be identified quickly, uh, resolved quickly, uh, quick fixes, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, AI can also uh, assist services organizations in improving work pro- productivity. Uh, instead of um, messing around with um, this software and that software and and uh, this machine doesn't talk to that machine or we can't get uh, this data uh, in real time and uh, we have to wait until tomorrow to get it. AI can make everything available when it needs to be available, where it needs to be available, who it needs to be shared with, and with recommendations or suggestions as to how it can be used uh, to improve uh, uh, workplace productivity. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, some uh, some experts are saying that uh, AI is going to uh, uh, displace human dispatchers uh, in the future. It's already doing that with some organizations, and uh, those organizations are already um, reaping the benefits of that in terms of improved productivity. Um, so that there, there's that push-pull uh, effect uh, of do we want more people making decisions or do we want more decisions made automatically? And the answer is going to be, which decisions are the best decisions on behalf of the customers, what's going to be best uh, to uh, enhance the customer experience, whether it's human or uh, AI, um, uh, is uh, left to be, yeah. uh, the story is left to be told. You know, But AI is going to absolutely be uh, improving uh, the overall customer experience. Your, your gut 
on that. What do you think? Do you think it's AI? Do you think it's customer? Uh, or do you think it's, it's human related as far as improving the customer experience? Well, like, what's your personal opinion? My personal opinion is that AI is, well, let's put it this way. There's still some services organizations that are debating whether or not to employ augmented reality uh, in their uh, operations. And while they're thinking about whether to use augmented reality or AR, uh, AR is already merging with virtual reality, becoming mixed or merged reality, MR. And uh, there is a very fast-growing number of organizations that are embedding that into their operations. And when you think about it, uh, augmented reality, uh, those two words sound a little scary. Mm -hmm. But when you watch a football game, uh, and you see the yellow line on the field, and you know it's uh, uh, third down and nine, you know exactly what's going on, and that's through augmented reality. Those yellow lines and arrows are not physically appearing on the field. Mm-hmm. They're only on your television set, and that's the reality you're looking at, uh, plus augmented reality to help you understand the real reality, if you will, better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and while there's been some resistance to using augmented reality, uh, we've been using it for years and years. When, when's the last football game you ever watched where you didn't see arrows and and uh, and yellow lines and things like that? I can't remember ever watching a football game that didn't have that. Yeah. Well, it, it's the same thing with AI, and uh, you know we'll probably be talking about machine learning too. Uh, but it's the same thing with both of them. Uh, they have been used uh, among the more progressive and aggressive services organizations now for several years, many years in some cases. And they're already seeing the, the fruits of, of uh, their labor in that. And, it, you know, it's a matter of uh, what machine learning and AI do not have at the outset is experiential learning. Mm. Over time, machine learning learns from its mistakes, learns from its successes. Same thing with artificial intelligence. It learns over time and it gets better, but it's got to start out well. And uh, one way to do that is to use the experiential learning of your field service technicians, of your dispatchers, of all of the people within the organization who presently and historically have had direct communications with customers. Mm -hmm. Build that into the algorithms, build that into uh, the operations, and, uh, you know, over time, those individuals uh, uh, can be retrained to work uh, either uh, elsewhere within the organization or up-trained to learn how to deal with AI and ML uh, results within their organization. Mm-hmm. They can uh, be uh, up-trained to manage how the chat box, uh, uh, chat bots are working. So instead of them typing things in, uh, to a, a chat to a customer, they're managing the overall process of the AI-driven chatbots typing things into the customers. So uh, it's not going to necessarily be a wholesale uh, reduction in human personnel. Uh, ultimately, it could be, but I think it's going to be slow, and for the best companies, it's going to be well-paced hmm. so they don't deplete their, their human resources uh, uh, for the sake of artificial intelligence, and then find themselves in the lurch uh, in the interim uh, because uh, 
everything's being run automatically and nobody knows exactly what the machines are are saying to each other you know so it's going to be a process it's going to take some time it's going to involve some retraining and uptraining uh but um, there's still going to be human beings uh, running the services organization You know, you're brought into an enterprise, the CTO and the CIO, they sit you down, they say those, basically those two buzzwords, uh, artificial intelligence, and then you did mention machine learning. They want to evaluate this type of mindset and this technology to implement to better, to, to overall improve their field service organization. What is the, the checklist that you give them or that you make them think about to see if they're ready or not for this type of digital transformation? Sure. Well, the first thing that I would say to the CTO and the CIO is where's the CMO or the CSO, the chief marketing officer or the chief services officer? Uh, because, you know, the, you, you don't want a service organization's uh, operations to be totally dictated by the uh, uh, technical people. Um, somehow, uh, all of the, the technology that's going to be incorporated in, into the operations needs to be transformed into something that is not going to just make the company great. Hey, look at our technology. It's going to make the customer experience great. It's look what our technology is doing for you. It's uh, enabling uh, a, a better customer experience. It's improving your productivity. Uh, it's making predictive maintenance replace uh, preventive maintenance. Uh, and, you know, there's a quote that I had read um, that AI is all about data. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, artificial intelligence in use, it's possible to take more strategic uh, decisions and to take them and to run with them and to actually improve the overall customer experience. So there are a number of things I put in the checklist. Number one, don't do it alone. Silos don't work. You've got to bring uh, service and marketing and sales into the equation uh, because the CTO and the CIO are the primary ones that you're going to want to build the technology. But it's going to be the CMO, the CSO, uh, and uh, the, the chief uh, sales um, uh, manager who are going to be using the results of that technology mm-hmm. uh, to be able to sell the product, uh, market the product, and maintain the product. So they've got to be included in it as well. Don't do it alone. Uh, in many services organizations, I, I've seen and I believe that the CTO or the CIO will need to drive the technology. They're going to need to explain the technical in marketing terms. In other words, the very sophisticated technical and operational aspects of AI and machine learning. We're going to have to explain that more in layman's terms uh, to uh, the marketing sales uh, uh, people and and, um, uh, and the services uh, organization. Now, that doesn't mean they need to talk down to them. It just means they they need to, it's almost like uh, interpreting one language to another. One group speaks uh, technical, another group uh, speaks customer service uh, oriented. Mm -hmm. Mm Uh, now, beyond that, and I think a lot of companies make a mistake 
in focusing on we just spent a million dollars on new technology and R&D to build AI into our systems. Well, that's great. What does it mean to me as a customer? What does it mean to me as a prospect, uh, perhaps a future customer? You haven't told me that. You just told me we spent a lot of money and we spent it on technology. Yep. But you yep. haven't told me what it's going to do for me. So don't make that mistake. Tell the marketplace what it's going to do for them. Mm-hmm. Third thing is set up committees and teams, have open discussions, put everything on the table. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's too big a deal. It's too expensive uh, a practice in, in some cases. And the results of doing it wrong will be too devastating to your organization. Uh, if you build something that just flat out doesn't work, uh, you know what that means is uh, you may be at par or maybe a little bit behind your competition today. You spend the next 18, 24 months building something that isn't right, and then you're going to be two years behind your competitors. The next thing I, I would add to the checklist is to work out an orchestrated strategic plan. Take it step by step. See what's available in the marketplace. See what's working the best. Now, that does not necessarily mean that you should do what all of your competitors in field service management are doing. Mm-hmm. You should be doing what the industry leaders are doing, mm-hmm. even if they're not in your market segment. And the, the example I could think of is uh, when I broke into the services industry uh, you know, like 25 years ago or more, um, everyone in services was looking to hand, uh, uh, to to manage their uh, their uh, call handling and their sales handling and their customer service better, and they weren't looking to other field service organizations to see who's doing the best job. They were looking at companies like LL Bean mm-hmm. uh, or Lands End to see how are they doing order entry because they are about the best. Yeah, and um, you know so with AI and machine learning. Uh, take a look at what um, uh, companies like American Express and, and Amazon are doing. Uh, uh, go to the trade shows. Uh, uh, see who the best in all the business segments, uh, who they're using, what they're doing with it, what their plans are for the future. Uh, you've got to go outside of the box of your own market segment. Mm, I like that. Yeah, and, and, and that's that falls along the same lines as people's expectations when it comes to customer experience are so great in some industries that it starts to spill over into others. And when those other industries lack, then it just becomes a, a major detriment to that to that brand, to that business, uh, and to that overall organization. Sure. Now, there are other things that I would add to the checklist, mm-hmm. some of which uh, don't sound uh, uh, new because uh, they've worked for years and years and years. Like for example, you need to have a strong and robust KPI or key performance indicator or metrics program in place mm-hmm. before you embark on uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning or before you embark on augmented reality or before you embark on anything that's going to change, alter and or improve your service operations. Measure exactly where you are today. Uh, how how are you measuring your customer experiences today? How do you measure satisfaction? How do you measure retention? Then you build these programs, and once they're operational, and they could take uh, six to 12 months uh, to burn in and start working and, and actually affect change, then measure them again. Uh, you don't know if you've taken the right path unless you see where you were 
and where you've gotten to and where you're going to go if you don't make any changes. And the only way you can do that is through some kind of KPI program. Mm. And uh, another thing, I mean, this is uh, so obvious, uh, I didn't even mention it first, obtain full management buy-in. You have to establish formal layers of accountability and buy-in within the company. Uh, but what I would suggest is, uh, in some cases, if your management is uh, thinking in terms of the old times, the old days, they were the best, what's all this newfangled technology all about? Do we really need it? Uh, we've been very successful doing what we've been doing for the last 125 years. Um, get the, uh, the committees and the teams started first. Mm -hmm. uh, get an orchestrated message. Uh, the, the technicians, the CTO and the CIO will have their messaging that they want to provide to senior management. But the chief marketing officer and services officer and uh, sales managers will also need to get their messages uh, to complement uh, the technical uh, messages and vice versa. And then get that messaging uh, in full support to the management so they get their buy-in. Uh, but it, it, it's got to have accountability. And, um, you know, uh, this area is for the CTO and the CIO to uh, manage. Mm -hmm. And if they don't meet these goals, there are going to be some sanctions. Mm -hmm. uh, and same thing with marketing and sales and, and services. And, and finally, the final thing I would say is let it work. <laughs> get it done. Yeah. Implement it. Let it work. Monitor the results and get customer feedback because ultimately you're not doing this to please yourselves. You know, the CIO and CTO are going to have lunch together and they're going to say, wow, that was a great uh, new technology we built in there with artificial intelligence. That means absolutely nothing to the customer. So, uh, you know, get the word out to the customer, get their feedback. And the customer doesn't really care in most cases uh, whether you've improved things because you've hired better people, you've made better decisions, or you've um, uh, started employing better or newer technologies, what they're going to care about is that they're having a better customer experience. Yeah. And the, the one analogy that I can think of that kind of sums all that up is if you're going to an ATM machine and you need to take out a hundred bucks in cash, uh, you don't care whether the reason the ATM is offline is because it's out of cash, it's out of paper, can't print a receipt for you, there's a hardware problem or a software problem or any permutations uh, thereof. All the customer cares about is I need a hundred bucks and I can't get the cash out of this machine. Mm -hmm. They have to walk across the street, go to another bank, pay a three and a half dollar charge to get their own money. They're already pissed off. Now they're more pissed off but at least they got their hundred bucks. Uh, but they have in not the back of their minds, it's top of mind that I went to my bank's ATM and it flat out didn't work. My customer experience really sucked in this situation. Yep. So what you want to do is you want to make sure that the customer gets back to you, provides you the feedback and uh, says whether they, they're seeing improvements or not. And, it, you know, at that point, if they are seeing improvements, uh, you know, uh, putting something on your website, putting something in your company's uh, monthly newsletter, uh, uh, publishing an article in one of the magazines that your customers and, and prospects read that talks about not what technology you've built in, 
but how the technology you've built in has made for a better customer experience, that will get the word out to your, to your customers and prospects, and that completes the cycle. It's not what have I done for me lately, it's what have I done for you, the customer, and the market prospects lately mm -hmm. uh, that they're going to want to know about. Yeah, and you're so why I was really excited to to talk to you and get this podcast up is that you're you're most noted for one of the, one of the many things that you're noted for is that uh, it's okay to look at your competitors and what they do, but it's it's more important to look at the customers and what they need and what is required to fulfill those needs. And and you you I mean everything that you've mentioned so far, and I think just that final little analogy about the the ATM, uh, it, it sums it up perfectly that that you you truly help companies like fully understand what the customer's needs and wants are and then how to fulfill those needs and wants. Yeah, no, well, that, that's absolutely the way I like to look at things. I mean, you do need to see what your competitors are doing mm -hmm. because uh, sometimes you need to react to them. Sometimes you have to act before them. But while you're looking back at your customers, you're not uh, uh, at your competitors. You're not going to see everything that they do. You don't know what the results are of their customer satisfaction surveys, whether they're doing a good job or a not so good job or, or a terrible job in some of the key areas uh, that define what a, a, a customer experience is. So to do what they do, you're going to end up making the same mistakes that they've made in the past. Mm -hmm. So, you know, check them out because you are competing against them. You need to know what they've been up to and what they're going to be up to. But you look directly in the eyes of your customers. Uh, you talk to them on the telephone. You talk to them in person. Uh, you talk to them at trade shows. Uh, and um, you, you can't um, afford to let only your AI-driven chatbots talk to them in the future. There still has to be some human interaction with them. Uh, find out what they have to say. Find out what they think. Find out if everything that you've built into your organization is actually improving the way they're receiving your services. What's it doing to their customer experience? And you know, someone once asked the bank robber uh, back in the 20s or 30s, Willie Sutton, why do you rob banks? And he said, because that's where all the money is. And you know, what I say is, why do you need to talk to customers? Because that's where you're the only place where you're going to learn how your customers feel about the services that you offer. Mm -hmm. Some of them may love you and not like the services, and you'll be surprised as all get out when they leave you mm -hmm. and switch to another vendor. Uh, and then you, you might talk to them at a trade show. Why did you switch? Well, we love you, but you know your services just weren't up to par. We weren't having a great customer experience with you. Uh, you don't ever want that to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so talk to them. Uh, because that's where all the customer data is. Uh, it, it lies within the customers themselves. All right. Well, that wraps up this episode of In the Know. Bill, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, th this is awesome to discuss everything from customer experience to trends to to getting, getting deep within the customer's needs and wants. I, I really appreciate this. Well, it's been my pleasure. Uh, thanks for inviting me, Todd.
So if you want to learn more about customer experience, head over to the Dispatch blog. That is blog.dispatch.me. Remember to subscribe to In The Know on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play, or really wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. As always, thanks for joining, and we'll see you next episode.